morning. Let's try it again. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. If we don't know each other, my name is Brian. I'm the pastor here at Mount Hope in Belmont. Do me a favor. We still can't uh, shake hands or high five or anything right now. Can you just turn around and just wave to someone, give them a thumbs up, just to say, hey, it's great to see you. Recognize that we're in the room together. It is good to be in worship. It's good to see more people in the room and coming back and the room starting to fill up. If you got the email this week and saw the video, then you saw uh, the, the video that Pastor Rick and I put together uh, with sound that was a whole lot better than that video. And, and you, you heard some of our plans for reopening next weekend. We were, for a while there, planning to reopen on August 1st, because that is what the governor had said we were going to shoot for August 1st, and so we thought to ourselves, well, we'll start to ramp up the services, and we'll ramp up kids' ministry, and we'll ramp up uh, coffee hour and things like that, and the Bible studies and ministries of the church, and then last Monday, the governor got up and on, you know, in front of the cameras and said, I was just kidding, it's May 29th, and that caused us to have a lot of quick conversations, as I'm sure a lot of organizations and businesses had to have some quick conversations here in Massachusetts. So uh, what we said in the video, if you didn't see it, is that starting next Sunday, uh, we are going to be at full capacity in our services. So if you come to church next week, there is no need to register. Uh, you can come to church. We will uh, not be socially distanced, and we will have all the chairs back in the sanctuary. Throughout this whole time, we have, as a church, we've decided, as, we, as your pastors, we've tried to balance safety along with our witness to the community around us and caring for the people that are a part of our church. And as we've done that, uh, we've felt okay uh, following the rules that have been put in place. And we're still there. So if you're not familiar with the, the CDC guidance that's been given uh, that the state is following, we ask you to familiarize yourself with that. Uh, but please come and join us next week. Here's the other thing I'll say about this quickly is I think that this continues to be a real important moment for the church and our church. Because I fully expect that next week when we gather, there will be some of you that will come in, and your mask will be off, and you have waited for this moment for months, and you are going to be high-fiving and giving hugs, and that's fantastic. We're glad that you're here. I also fully expect within Burlington and Belmont there will be some people who will come in and you will feel more comfortable keeping your mask on and keeping your distance. You are still welcome to come to church. And let's, let's not make the mistake of creating an environment where one group is prioritized over the other. I think the enemy would love to create a situation where he could bring division into our midst in this way. So let's do Let's do what God, I think, would call us to do and be the body of Christ and love one another the way he calls us to. But we're excited to take this next step forward. Some of you may feel comfortable continuing to join us online. And if that's you, that is no problem. When you're ready to come back, we want you to come back. But we will continue to offer all our services online the same way that we have. And you can watch those at home until the audio or video drops out. And then we'll scurry together and we'll get it back up and you can start watching again. Some of you know what I'm talking about. We're going to be in Luke chapter 6 together. And I'll give you a second to turn there. While you're turning there, I want to say one last thing about the reopening piece. And I'll give you a second to find Luke chapter 6 verses 1 through 11. 
uh, we are planning to bring back kids ministry in its full capacity, but it is probably going to take us a little while to get that done. We still are waiting for guidance from, from the state and other people as to what, what guidance we have to follow with our children. And so we'll probably learn more this week. But the one thing that we do know is we need volunteers to welcome our children back. And so if you're willing to help in that way, you can talk to Melissa, but please help us welcome back the children that have already been coming, but all the families that are still out there and our neighbors who are going to be coming back, be able to welcome those families well. Also, the all-important coffee hour, I know that's a big question on people's minds. June 13th, we're targeting June 13th. Uh, our children have been using the fellowship hall. We, were, we got slow transitions happening, but uh, June 13th we'll target for... Uh, bacon and eggs and pancakes out in front of the church. I don't know who's going to cook that. I don't know why I promised that, but we'll, we'll do something. We'll do something. June, uh, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. You know, in our lives, in our lives, there are problems to solve. You have problems to solve in your life. I have problems to solve in my life. And there are tensions to manage. There are problems to solve and there are tensions to manage. I'll give you an example of a tension to manage in our lives. Work-life balance. It's not a problem to solve in life. It's a tension to be managed, and it's something that we have to manage over and over again as we go through life. You can solve the problem of work-life balance by ignoring all responsibility and doing whatever you want with your life, but that's not a great solution to the tension. You can also solve the problem of work-life balance by digging yourself only into your work and ignoring all your personal life and relationships by becoming overly focused on your work, but that's not a great solution either. And so what we have to do is we have to manage that tension. Sometimes we press into our responsibilities, sometimes we press into our relationships, and back and forth as life changes. There are tensions like that in our faith. When we talk about what it means to follow Jesus Christ, there are these things, and they're not problems to be solved necessarily, but they are tensions to be managed. And problems come when we try to solve tensions that we're supposed to manage as problems that are to be solved. And this morning, as we press into Luke chapter 6 here, and we look at these verses, we're going to see a group of people who, rather than managing a tension that they needed to manage... We're trying to solve a problem. And we're going to see that it's actually something that you and I can be prone to do as well, that rather than manage this tension in our lives well, we try to solve it as a problem. And when we do that, Jesus had something to say to these religious leaders. He also has something to say to you and to me. Let's take a look at these verses together. This is Luke chapter 6, verse one. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked, this is Jesus, right? His disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why, do you, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I'm going to pause here for one minute, and let's just appreciate for a second what's happening. 
We've been in the Gospel of Luke now for a couple of months, and one of the things that we've noticed, even though we're only just starting chapter 6 here of the Gospel of Luke, is that Jesus has this relationship with these Pharisees, these religious leaders. These are the people that are in charge of making sure everyone follows the rules around the religion and serving God. And there's this relationship between Jesus and these Pharisees that we've already started to see, and we see in this passage as well. And that is that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are looking for ways to catch Jesus doing the wrong thing. And Jesus, over and over again, saves his harshest words and his largest rebukes for the people who know how to live religiously but are missing relationship with God. And so this is just another instance now where the Pharisees and Jesus are coming at odds with one another. Now, the text says that Jesus and his disciples were walking on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath, if you're unfamiliar with that term, the the Sabbath is a day that God had established, we'll talk about that in a moment, that God had established as a day of purposeful rest for his people. And so the people were on that day to pull back from all their work and to press into relationship with God. That's the best way I know to describe it. It was a day of purposeful rest, and that day, the purpose of that day was to pull back from your ordinary work and responsibilities and to press into relationship with God. That's what the people were to do. And the Jewish people, they celebrated the Sabbath on sundown on Friday, still do today, until sundown on Saturday. And for many Christians, Sunday The day of Sunday is the Sabbath. It's the day to pull back from our normal responsibilities and to press into relationship with God. Now, the Pharisees wanted to make sure that everybody kept that rule. That's a rule that God established. And they wanted to make sure that everybody kept that rule. So by the time Jesus comes around, the Pharisees and the religious leaders had created at least 39 other regulations that the people had to keep in order to make sure they weren't breaking the Sabbath. Stick with me for one moment because there's a lot of history in these short verses. Jesus and his disciples are walking through someone's grain field and they're picking heads of grain. You might think that the Pharisees are mad because they're stealing someone else's grain, but that's not the case at all. Because in that culture, if you were walking through someone else's field and you were hungry, you were allowed, there's no Trader Joe's to go to, you were allowed to pick grain, not to harvest it, but to pick a little bit of grain and to eat it so that you wouldn't be hungry anymore. That's allowed. You could read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25. And so Jesus and his disciples are doing something that's okay, walking through someone else's property and taking a little bit of grain to eat. However, the religious leaders had created 39 extra rules about the Sabbath. And one of those rules would forbid the disciples from doing activity like this, preparing food to eat. And this is how they would get practically applied, that preparing food actually meant picking grain and rubbing it in your hands in order to eat. And we could see this in our day as well. You saw Justin Joseph up here just a moment ago praying for us and introducing the announcement video, and Justin's sitting right over here now. And uh, Justin, you may not know this about Justin, Justin has a, a dark history and a dark past. He used to live 
in New York City. And he's repented of that, and we forgive him for it. But there was a time that he lived in New York City. And there was a day that he was walking through New York City, and I picture him, I don't know, dancing and singing down Broadway. I'm not sure exactly what he was doing, but Justin was walking through New York City. And a gentleman came up to him. A Jewish gentleman came up to Justin and said, hey, can you, can you help me out? And Justin followed him home, said sure, and he followed him home. And the man walked Justin into his house where his family was gathered getting ready to eat. And he said to Justin, he said, we noticed that our refrigerator is unplugged. And it's the Sabbath. And I can't plug it back in. Would you plug it back in for me? And Justin said, sure, and he did it, and he demanded some money, and he left. No, that's not true. That's not true. Justin said, sure, and he did it. But that's the practical, real world living out of the rules of the Sabbath. So you can imagine Jesus and his disciples in this day picking grain and rubbing it in their hands and eating it and violating this, and the Pharisees went nuts. And Jesus says, listen, it's do you remember when David, he talks about a passage that's from 1 Samuel chapter 21. He says, do you remember David? And he brings up David because David is one of the heroes of the faith. You know David, David and Goliath, David. And he said, do you remember this moment, 1 Samuel chapter 21, where David and his men were starving and they went to the priest and the only bread that the priest had was called the bread of the presence. The priest would put 12 loaves of bread out every week, and it was like the 12 tribes of Israel sitting in the presence of God. And after a week, the loaves were replaced, and only the priest was allowed to eat that bread. But David and his men were hungry, and they were out to battle. And the priest allowed David to eat that bread, David and his men to eat that bread. And technically, they violated a rule, but it was the right thing to do. And Jesus is saying, just like in that moment, they technically violated a rule, but it was the right thing to do. We may be technically violating your rule, but it's the right thing to do. And there's a second instance here where this same tension comes up, and it's, it goes again in verse 6 here. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he said to them, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed one another what they might do to Jesus. Can you imagine that reaction? Can you imagine if someone was here in our service? with a, a withered hand, and God healed it right in the middle of our worship service. God healed that person's hand. I hope we would rejoice. And here are the religious leaders, the people who are supposed to be closest to God. And Jesus heals the man's hand, and they're furious. The question is why? Why are they so 
angry. Because the Pharisees and Jesus were dealing with attention. And it's attention that they had to manage. It's attention that you and I have to manage. And the tension comes out of two truths that are in Scripture. The tension comes out of two things that God says are true for you and for me if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. And the first truth is this. It is good to be good. It is good to be good. The Pharisees are all about this statement. The Pharisees were all about being good religious people. And certainly throughout Scripture, we could go and we could find all the places where God says, I am good, where God says, I am holy, where God says, I am perfect, and you are to be like me. You are to be righteous like I am righteous. God says over and over again in the, whole, in the Old Testament, be holy as I am holy. And we can find many places within Scripture where God affirms this statement, that it is good to be good, that God is perfect, that God is righteous, that God is holy, and you and I ought to strive to be like him. And the Pharisees took this, and in their desire to be good, in their desire to be like God, that's where their 39 rules come along. The truth is, the Sabbath has been established by God. It is good. You remember that when God created, if you're familiar with the story, that God created for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And then when he gave his people the Ten Commandments, sure enough, right there, commandment number four says this. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. There's nothing wrong with the Pharisees' desire to keep the Sabbath and to keep it well. It is good to be good. It is good to do the things that God calls us to do. And in your life, in my life, we ought to be constantly pressing in to the things that God calls us to do and becoming more like the people that God has created us to be. This is part of the reality of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. That to even begin following him, we recognize that we fall short in so many areas, that we're not good, that we are sinners, and we receive grace and mercy and forgiveness through the cross. And then when we begin to follow him, his spirit comes and dwells within us. Today on the official church calendar is Pentecost Sunday, the Sunday we remember the Holy Spirit coming down after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension back into heaven. And very practically in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within you and over a lifetime makes you more like the person that God has created you to be. And that is a good thing. I don't want to miss that in the passage, that the Pharisees desire to be the people that God calls us to be is not wrong. It's good. The problem comes with the second truth. And the Pharisees' ability to hold the two truths in tension. The first truth is it's good to be good. See that throughout Scripture. The second truth is this. 
It is good to do good. It is good to do good. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know we've been talking about Jesus' mission when he was on this earth. And this is the last sermon in this series. And in the very first sermon, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus was back in his hometown. Some of you might remember this from a few weeks ago. Jesus was in his hometown, in his home synagogue, back with the people that he grew up with. And it was there that he began to announce what God had sent him down to this earth to do. And when it was time for him to say exactly what it was he was here to do, he chose to quote Isaiah chapter 62, verses 1 and 2. And you can read it right there in Luke chapter 4. He says these words. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus in that one segment is saying to the people that he grew up with, God has sent me here to do good, to proclaim good news to the poor, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim liberty to the captives. I am here to give sight to the blind, to do good. And his followers of Jesus both are true. That we are to not only strive to be good by God's grace and by the power of his Holy Spirit inside of us, but we are also to do the good that God puts in front of us to do. And it's good to be good, and it's good to do good, but it is not good. It is not good when being good stops you from doing good. It is not good when being good stops you from doing good. And this is the problem the Pharisees had. In their desire to be perfect people, in their desire to be good religious people, they were stopping good things from happening right in front of them. Very specifically, the disciples being able to eat when they were hungry and, and, and someone who needs healing to be able to be healed by God in a miraculous way. All of these good things that God had put in front of them for them to do, they wanted to stop because of their desire to be good. They had this fear that if they associated too much with the wrong people in the wrong places and tried to do good in those places, that they would stop being good in God's eyes. And it's not good when being good stops us from doing good. And the reality of the tension, and this isn't necessarily what the Pharisees were feeling, but I feel like we need to say this because of the way our world operates today, that the truth is the reverse of that statement is also true. That it's not good when trying to be good stops you from doing good. It's also not good when trying to do good stops us from being good. When we press so much into doing good and so much into reaching out to people that we actually begin to compromise the things that God calls us to. So you can see this is the tension that we have to walk as followers of Jesus Christ. And some might solve the problem by saying, we are going to be good Christian people, and so we're not going to have anything to do with those people who are in need. And you can solve the tension that way, but that is not what God calls us to. 
And other people might say, you know what, we are going, we're so into meeting people and loving people and doing good that we are going to go do good, but we are going to leave some of the things God says are right behind. And you can do that. You can try to solve the tension that way, but that is not where God calls us to be. God calls you and he calls me and our lives to balance the two together, to be the people that God calls us to be, to press into the truth that he has given us, and also to do the good that God has given us to do. One of the things I love about the school that's associated with our church, so we have our congregation here in Belmont, there's a congregation in Burlington, like you saw in the video, there's also a school located in Burlington, and it's preschool and elementary through grade five, and there's about, normally there's over 300 students that are a part of that school. And one of the things I love about the school that's associated with our church is that it is a Christian school. So every student that goes to school at Mount Hope goes to chapel and goes to their Bible class and memorizes scripture and sings the songs, and that's not compromised. They all participate. However, you don't have to be a Christian to send your family or your children to Mount Hope Christian School. If you send your children to Mount Hope Christian School, they'll go to chapel, they'll, they'll go to the Bible class, they'll do all those things, but you don't have to be a Christian in order to send your children there. And I love that about our school because over the years we have seen God reach children and God reach families through that reality that the students come and they participate in their Bible studies, they participate in worship, they participate in chapel, and God reaches them over time. Now, some schools might solve that by saying, listen, we're a Christian school for Christian people, and I think there's a place for that, but it becomes a problem when we say we are Christian, a Christian school for Christian people, and we don't talk to anyone outside of us. And you could also solve that problem by saying, well, you know, we were Christian at one point, but in our desire to educate people and to become bigger and to do more things, Harvard maybe, that, that we will abandon the, the spiritual principles that we started with in order to reach more people. And God calls us to live somewhere in the middle. And I think there's some really important implications here for the past 16 months. Because there have been so many big things that have come up. Whether that is a pandemic or elections or race relations and justice. And Christians, Christians, rather than, than saying, how do we balance the tensions well between doing what is right and being the people God calls us to be, have split to the edges and have gone opposite directions. And rather than manage the tension well, we have staked claims on either side. In our efforts either to try to be the kind of people that are never going to be compromised by this world or to be the kind of people that are willing to leave God's truth behind in order to go and participate in what our world calls good. And there is a middle that God calls us to sit in and hold the tension well. That we would be a part of the healing and part of the restoration and part of the good without abandoning the people that God calls us to be. 
One of the things I love about Mount Hope is that I've been in Mount Hope for almost 20 years now. And in those two decades, I've seen time and time again Mount Hope run into the places where God is calling us to do good things. And God is calling us to do the good. And without compromising the truth of who God is, run into those places where we can make a difference and do the right thing. We're actually going to talk more about that next Sunday. But something came up this week, very specific, that I think can help illustrate this point. I want to share it with you, and then I'll invite our, our worship team to come. A number of months ago now, in fact, well over a year ago now, a woman walked through the front door of our church. Her name's Rebecca. And some of you know Rebecca, and I'm not going to share anything that Rebecca hasn't shared very publicly. Some of you have heard her testimony. And she walked through the front door, and I greeted her like we'd greet anyone else, and I heard a story that I, I was not uh, prepared to hear, that Rebecca was coming after her, her first Sunday after coming to the United States, and she had been living in Arizona and been moved up to Boston, but the reason that she came to the United States is that she was living in Uganda with her husband and her four boys. And something had happened where she was working for a company that was influenced by the government. And if you know anything about uh, Uganda and you could go read the UN reports, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty corrupt place, the way the government operates. And there was something that she was asked to do in her work that as a Christian, she didn't feel like she could do. And she stood up and she said, I'm not going to do it. A little while later, she found herself taken from just outside of her workplace, and for 72 hours while she was pregnant with her fourth child, she was beaten and abused and then left by the side of the road for dead. By God's grace, her life was spared, and she fled through Kenya and came to the United States seeking asylum. She ended up in Arizona, and then some friends helped her get to Boston where there was a larger Ugandan community, and she walked through the front door of our church. And she said, can you help me? Can you help me manage the, the legal process? Can you, can you help me figure out what I'm supposed to do next? Not only was it overwhelming because I, I personally didn't know much about that process at that point, But there's this piece of me, if I'm being real honest with you, this piece of me that when I, when I hear the story and God puts something in front of me where I can do good and we can do good as a church, there's this piece of me that says, you better vet this story. You better make sure you're not being taken advantage of. You better, you better be good here. So I prayed and I said, God, you got to help me out here. you got to help me with this story. The next Sunday, it's amazing how God works. The next Sunday, Rebecca was sitting in our sanctuary, and a woman that you may know named Hyun that goes to our church was sitting down the row from her. And she saw Rebecca sitting there. They had never met before, and Hyun had said, Hi, I'm Hyun. Where? And she said, Hi, I'm Rebecca. And Hyun said, Where are you from? And Rebecca said, Oh, I'm from Uganda. And Hyun said, You'll never guess. My husband is in Uganda right now. What are the chances that the Sunday after I meet Rebecca and I pray, God, would you help me verify this story, 
that one person in our church, our congregation of 150 people, of all the places in the world they could be, is in Uganda, and then the two women meet in our sanctuary seemingly by chance. And Hyun says, where, where are, you, are you from? And Rebecca told her, and Hyun texted or called Song, her husband, and, and, said, and, and, and sure enough, Song was literally down the road. And he was able to meet with Rebecca's husband and speak with him. And others who were there were able to help verify the story within two weeks of Rebecca walking through that door. And it was almost like God was saying to me, it was almost like God was saying to me, listen, because you can't get out of this area, I'll help you out a little bit here. I'll help you get unstuck a little bit. And God was gracious enough to do that. But boy, I wish I would have been the kind of person that just would have done the good right in front of me right away. I'm gracious that God helps me out. I'm gracious that God gives me that sort of mercy. But God had put the thing, good thing to do right in front of us. So he helped Rebecca. And Rebecca got through her asylum status. It's still in process because of COVID. It all got delayed. But she was able to get her work stuff figured out. And so now she's working and, she, and things are going great. This last week, Rebecca got absolutely fleeced by a car dealer. I mean, they just took advantage of her. I'd love to stand up here and tell you the name <laughs> of the dealership. I mean, it was, it was just fraud, fraud. And so... I found that out last Sunday and put the call out to a few people in this church. And I'm telling you this last week, there are people that are sitting in the room with you this morning that put hour after hour after hour in helping Rebecca. You know God was in it because we even found a Christian lawyer. I didn't even know those existed. We found a Christian lawyer and he helped us out. And at the end of the week, we didn't get every single last dime back, but we got way more than we ever thought we would. We got real close. And you know, there's part of me, this side of me, says, listen, it's, it's good to help out. It's good to help out, but, but we can't help everybody out in those situations. Like other people have really hard situations. It's hard for the church to help everybody. So, so can we help one person when we can't help everybody out the exact same way? And then I come over here and God says, just do the good I've put in front of you to do. And here's what we're going to do. Rebecca's not here this morning because she doesn't have a car. The Benevolence Fund is active on the website. We're going to get this done this week. I tr I'm trusting God for this. She's going to put a little bit in. We're going to put a little bit in. And we're going to get her the vehicle that she needs to be able to go and do the work that God has called her to do. I watched her sit here two weeks ago on Mother's Day. So pained as her four boys are in Uganda. And she's here. You know, here she is doing what God has called her to do. And God has put her in our midst. So we're going to do the good that God has called us to do. And I love that this is a church that does it. 
If you want to be a part of that, you can go online to our Give page. The Benevolence Fund is there. I'm not going to do a big push for that because I know God is going to provide. It's good. It is good when you and I are good and when we do good. That's who God calls us to be. So I would just ask you to evaluate your own heart this morning. Where are the places in your life where you're so stuck in being good and protecting yourself that you're not doing the good that God has put in front of you? And where are the places in your life that in order to do good and be accepted and have everybody like you, you are compromising the person that God has called you to be? Live with the tension. It is good when you are good and you do good. God, I thank you that you forgive us for the times that we get this wrong. That you are gracious enough to forgive us. When for the sake of being righteous and for the sake of being holy, we don't reach out and do the good that you have called us to do. And God, I thank you that you forgive us for the times in our lives where we have compromised. God, call us back to where you want us to be. The kind of people who strive to be the people you've called us to be, led by your Holy Spirit's work in our lives, and the people who reach out and do the good that you have called us to do and participate in the reconciling work that you are doing in this world. Help us to be those kinds of people. Would we be the church? The people around us see a group of people who are dedicated to loving you and truly dedicated to loving others. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.